Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of Full Exposure with me, your host, Brian Kelly. Hey, the premise of this podcast is really simple. I invite a guest I'm interested in photographing and talking with to my studio in Grand Rapids, Michigan. The first thing we do is we sit down and we create a portrait together. That's right. The guest has to sit for me in front of my camera and we create a portrait together. Typically, during that photography session, a really cool, fun, funny conversation begins. And the premise of the podcast is that we get to sit down after the portrait shoot is done and extend that conversation and just see where it goes. And you get to be a fly on the wall and listen in as we meander through a whole bunch of whatever topics are on top of our mind. And I'm just super pleased that you are tuning in and listening. And it would be really great if you enjoy this podcast If you could go to whatever platform you listen to us on, give us a rating, leave a comment. It will help other people uh, natively find this podcast because I'm sure most of you might already know me or we're connected on social media, but we'd love to uh, see if this idea has any legs out into the other world that aren't just my family and my friends and my mom who's listening. So... um, We want to see if this thing will grow. I don't know. The feedback so far has been pretty great and really overwhelming and positive. So I want to thank you if you've sent me a text, an email, um, an instant message, maybe a direct message. There's so many ways to get in touch with me, but I appreciate the encouragement. So with that, I'll introduce my next guest, who is actually one of my closest friends, one of the most talented comedians in Michigan or in the country. Let's just expand that out. I didn't mean to hold Dave Dyer, David Dyer, the comedian, to just one geographic area where he's great, not just Michigan. He's great across the entire country. Let's just be real. If you've ever seen Dave perform, he is incredible. A seasoned comic, great writer, timing delivery is just off the charts. And... I'm lucky to say that he's one of my friends who keeps me on my toes. I see his success. It drives me to work harder in my own field. And um, this is a little bit of an insight. These are two two guys, two 50-year-old guys reminiscing a bit about their lives and how they grew up together. I actually started this podcast by settling an old beef with Dave. I've always felt that... He really was angry with me for maybe our whole lives about the fact that I didn't invite him to my eight-year-old birthday party. And it's been, it's been time. It's time for us to talk about it and get it figured out because, you know, 43 years is a long time to know somebody and to carry the burden of being shunned by me by not inviting you to my eight-year-old birthday party is a lot to carry through life. And Dave, I'm sorry. And if I could go back in time, I'd invite you. I would invite you, Dave. I love you, man. And I'm sorry. But anyway, we work through that and everything's fine. And with that, let's light up this next episode of Full Exposure with Brian Kelly and my guest, the great comedian, David Dyer. Dave Dyer, thanks for coming in. Thanks, Brian, for having me. Appreciate We're in it. my studio. We just did a photo shoot. Mm-hmm. Just for the audience uh, to know up front, Dave and I have been friends for... Very you're long. one of my oldest and <clears throat> dearest friends of Thank all time, and still are. Very close. We're very tight. Yep. Talk about a lot of things together. Yeah. Usually over Very food. honest with each other. Over food, usually. Yeah. We used to occasionally work out together, and then I just completely... Something happened? Something happened. Right. I'm going to call it an injury, but it was more like an injury, like a full incapacitation of my will to it's, work out anymore. It's never too late. 
Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> As my heart seizes up during the podcast. It, it's never too late, but we're getting there. <laughs> so we've been friends, I think, since we were seven yeah. or eight. Seven, it was grade eight-ish. school. Even though we didn't go to the same grade school, I think we knew each yeah. other, first of all, because we played like rocket basketball against, against each other. Yeah, and I only played like one season. Yeah. And I remember specifically one of my first memories of you that I have super clear mm-hmm. was at a little league game at the old West Oakview, I think yeah. it was. Okay. And yeah, I remember your baseball cap because your hair was very long in those days. And very blonde. Very blonde and Little very Dutch long. boy. Yeah. Yes. And I must say that you kind of looked like an early Justin Bieber prototype haircut with the ball cap on. Like yeah. there was a lot of hair spewing out from underneath the cap. I used to get a lot of Adam Rich from Eight is Enough. Yes. Yeah. Or Richie Rich kind of. Or Oliver of. from the Brady Bunch. Yeah. Their little He's, cousin who showed up somehow. I, I this it could be my favorite podcast already, just because of all this <laughs> stuff. Is but one of my memories was I remember you were angry with me because we also lived for we didn't live very far apart, but by seven or eight year old standards, and we didn't go to the same middle school. We it was kind of far apart. We could, mm-hmm. it was a little bit of a stretch at that age to like bike over to each yeah. other's houses. But it was I remember a journey. It was a journey through some woods and yeah. trails and then over and then through a couple cul-de-sacs. Pack some jerky with you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. More like probably uh, King Don's or King Ho-Ho's. Don's licorice. <laughs> Big licorice guy. Still in. <laughs> I know you are. We'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. But you were angry with me because you just called me out that I didn't invite you to. I think it was my eight-year-old, eight-year-old birthday party. Probably. It's probably you were... You were a little passive-aggressive on me. Like, okay. you came up and said, hey, uh, I heard you had a birthday party. And again, we didn't go to the same school, necessarily. Okay. And my... my, my, but my uh, Is this me... you trying to make up for this? Is this something that's been sticking in your craw for years and you wanted to... And so... You... No, listen. Appearing on my podcast is not a gift to anyone, okay. really. I mean... It's more of a penance. Sounds like. like you're trying to redeem yourself by saying it was a geographic decision more than anything. I'm just saying that I did consider you a friend at that point. Mm-hmm. I just, because of the logistics of, you know, yeah. eight-year-old birthday parties, it was more of a, a neighborhoody <clears throat> type of thing. That's all I'm saying. So I'm guessing there was Jeff Clark. Jeff Clark was there. Mark Morris was probably there. He was there, yeah. People could, people could ride over. I'm trying to think, uh, who else? You know, there's probably some randos from third and fourth grade that we don't know yeah. anymore. You know, those Fallen kids. by the wayside. Yeah, they're... They stood, They were last seen by the train tracks, mm-hmm. and then no one knows Kicking what a stone down the tracks. Yeah. But anyway, that was my first solid, like, that. as my 50-year-old brain looks back at it, that's, like, one of my clearest memories of you. Do you have an early first memory of me? Yeah. Um, I can remember, I mean, even though I knew you before this, when I think about us as kids, um, I can remember uh, playing football, Against you and with you, and you were a very good football player, and I loved football, you know. So yeah, um, I can remember when we played rocket football together and against each other, watching you play. And yeah, it was you were fun. Just really good. Well, and you, yeah, and you were this small package that would rip people's a whole entire like decapitate people. Mm-hmm. I loved it. I still remember in high school though. This is one of my favorite things that hurt really bad and I couldn't there were two instances that I uh, it, the names are irreplaceable but for me and Dave this would be very funny is um, I one uh, we were going on like a scrimmage or something right before it was like a walkthrough with practice but then I, I forget which coach I think it must have been junior year okay then yeah it would have been and you were playing guard and I was playing linebacker mm-hmm. at the time and for some reason, we just looked at each other, and it was like, go time. Like, on that play. <laughs> and I remember just, like, jamming you at the line, but it hurt. So there was something about the way I caught the shoulder pad. And I was still, a, I probably told you this back in high school, but there was, I don't think there was, as, there was a lot bigger guards than you, but there were a little... There was none that caused more pain than you did, like when you went up against the linebacker as you as the guard. I, lo- I loved, and, and I played rugby later on, you, you yeah. know, way out of high school. But I, I loved 
That's something in that sport you either have or you don't. There's a lot of stuff yeah. you can learn about football, but you either enjoy getting hit or you don't <laughs> enjoy getting hit. And I used to love laying people out. And I used yeah. to get in trouble. The coaches would get ticked me yeah. because even in practice, which, I would lay people out. Which and, brings me to my next winnings. <laughs> and maybe remember this. There was a point where uh, I think it was our JV year, and Scott Olnicek was our, was our quarterback. Mm-hmm. And he rolled out on some kind of keeper. And we were on the outside practice field. Like, there's, you barely, t- it's basically a cow pasture that mm-hmm. we're playing in. <laughs> and I laid out Scott Olenichuk, <laughs> our quarterback, like two days before the game. Before game. So hard that he <laughs> made like that noise. The gu- guttural, almost yeah. death sounds. <laughs> yeah. There were some organs being moved around. And, and before he could get up, he had to like, Reshuffle them, and then many years later, he told me. So he sort of like tried. He did not want to admit how badly he was gassed and hurt from yeah. the hit that I licked on him. Mm-hmm. And he made his way back to the huddle and sort of trotted back. And I, he didn't look hurt, hurt, but he said later, <laughs> like ten years later, he admitted that it was like the worst thing that yeah. ever happened. Yeah. He just couldn't. But it was like it gave me so much satisfaction in that moment. Yeah. And uh, I missed I missed that sort of collision. We had. Do you remember there was a guy in our class named Dave Hibbets? Yeah. Who was a huge guy. Yeah. And he came out for fo- 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 football one time. I can't remember. It might have been sophomore year. He came out yeah. and played. Yeah, he was huge. He was a big guy. Yeah. You know, and didn't have a lot of skills because he had never played before. But still, his his physicality was just enormous, and he was a big, strong guy. And I had to go against him in a drill, and I just, you know, I'm 5'6", five, 5'7", five, at the most, and I just laid him out. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget kind of watching him the rest of the practice. I felt bad because the rest of the practice, he was kind of over there just sort of had this glassy look in his eyes like, maybe this wasn't a good decision to play. He's got his helmet off, and he's on one knee on the sideline <laughs> yeah. the whole time. I just always, you know, same thing in rugby. I just, I, you know, like I said, I never mind, minded getting hit, and I absolutely loved laying a good hit on somebody. There was something about when you made that contact, and you can almost feel them kind of go limp in your grip. You're like, yeah. I got <laughs> yeah, that's what my, my dad taught me early on, because my dad was a small, smaller running back and played some defense, but he was... Very powerful, kind of reminds me of you in a way in that size. But he would just tell me, if you hit as hard as po- as you possibly can, you're not going to get hurt. Mm-hmm. You because you're tensed up. Yeah, everything everything is is and your energy is your momentum will carry yep. you through that. So anyway, maybe now, that applies to life somehow. I'll tell I, you how that applies to college football. I don't want to go off on a big tangent here, but you know, you watch like the success, even though they didn't win the national championship. You watch Alabama's running backs as opposed to everybody else's. Everybody's trying to, you know, juke everybody, move to the side. They run straight at you as hard as they can, north, south, and they just run right over you. It's yeah. so much fun to watch that. By the third quarter, you're like, I can't yeah, hit this him hurts. again. <laughs> I know. Come go on. ahead. There you go. Yeah. We're going to let you walk this into the end zone. Yep. Um, so I want to talk. It's been so cool to watch you for 35 years or, or how long? Well, we're both... You're going to be 50. I am 50. You're way, so I just both, 50. That's right. So we're both 50. So, yes, for 43 years we've known each other. So 43 yeah. was sort of like me and her. And we haven't always been in constant. There was in our early 20s after college and that. We sort of like there was pre-phones, pre-internet. Right. So, But it was cool to, uh, you know, for the most part we've had. We've stayed in fairly good touch. I mean, obviously yeah. over the last several years, much better touch. Yeah. And see each other quite a bit more. But, you know, I think. You know, you have your lives, you get married, and, and you yeah. know, so on and so forth. But uh, No, I'm dipping out, and, like, there's the, there's the arc and up and downs of, like, you have a new friend for a year, and then they, whatever, and then as adults, and actually with a lot of stuff that we've had as a family, like, I don't hang out with anybody, really, yeah. but I seem to hang out with you pretty consistently, which is great. Yeah. But uh, I want to, I'm curious, because there's still some things I don't know about you necessarily. Mm-hmm. And your family's always been very, very a funny family. Your dad yeah. was funny. Your brothers were funny and brutal and uh, in a good way. Yeah. I think, you know, in a brotherly to you. They yeah. weren't brutal to me. They were all kind to me. But, like, uh, but where did the notion... I know funny was in your household. Yeah. But at what point did the notion of stand-up comic... And you're, uh, let me just preface one other thing for the audience. Is you're 
arguably, or maybe not arguably, the you know the most successful comedian working today out of West Michigan. You're con- you've been doing it full time, long time. Yeah, quite. 20, yeah. yeah. Yep. So where did you? Where did that germinate? Well, like I, especially but <clears throat> comedy, and I know. Let, take us through your arc through college and those type of things. Well, I, I tell you, to be honest with you, it, it, you mentioned my dad. It truly starts with my dad. Not only not only because he was so funny. I mean, and you knew my dad. He was he was incredibly smart, very sharp. And the and the way my dad was funny, which helped me in becoming a comedian and learning how to tell a joke and stuff, is that there's always the obvious joke. When you're in a situation having a conversation with somebody, there's always the obvious joke. But my dad knew how to come at things from a different angle and would say the thing that you weren't expecting someone to say, which is what is a joke is. You know, you yeah. take him down the street and you take a left turn. It always catches you a bit off guard. Oh, he was just the funniest guy. But also, in addition to that, um, it was the conduit that he was that introduced us to watching things like Monty Python, listening to Bob Newhart, all these kind of Jonathan Winters albums, all sorts of stuff like this. He was kind of the, the access that we had to, to all this stuff. And I can remember, you know, uh, you know Cosby has obviously had his, his day, but um, still, I, I can't deny it. he was a huge comedic influence. We had a bunch of his albums, and we used to listen yeah. to that stuff like crazy growing up. I and, don't think anyone would argue that, you know, Cosby's, Character as a performer, uh, yeah. there's hardly anybody that could do what he no. did on TV or on stage. Obviously, the whole other side to him, you know, is a, a negates and and overshadows the yeah. other, which it should. But yeah. anyway, but yeah, in terms of influencing yeah. the generations of comics, for sure. And I can remember being a kid and listening to Bill Cosby and thinking, I can't believe a guy is doing this for a living. This is his job. He gets yeah. to get up there and tell these funny stories. So very early on, it was it was kind of in the thought process. Um, I never did any theater or anything in, in high school. Just uh, as much as I enjoyed musicals, you played music. I played music. Yeah. I played in the band up through eighth grade, and then I, I played drums. I took some private lessons in high school, and the rest of it was pretty much self taught. I used to sit in the basement for hours yeah, playing the drums. In fact, that was always my parents never grounded me. My my punishment would be being grounded from the drums for a week, which yeah. would kill me. And um, yeah, I remember you used to go home. It was, I don't know if it was probably before the time of like thinking about stress, but I remember many times after school, you just go drum for hours. Hours. Yep. And put on headphones. I had an old Phil, steer- Collins, Phil Collins, Genesis, uh, old Peter, uh, some Peter Gay. I yep, really used to like, listen to a lot of Zeppelin, listen, yeah. try, to play a, try to play a lot of Bonham stuff. You can't play Bonham, dude. No. Come on. Not very well. But I had an old stereo behind me with headphones on. And every now and then, the headphones were so crappy, I'd get a short and I'd get like a little shock in the side of my head. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, no, but I remember coming over sometimes and you were playing in the basement. And it was so loud even then. It's like I, your mom must have been patient as well to allow you to oh, drum yeah. even when you're, well, I guess you were grounded from the drums. But they the point was, was they, like, there was no peace in the house. Yeah. I know you're in a basement, but good Lord, that mm-hmm. was loud. It was very loud. So um, through high school, I was never in, you know, in high school, all they pretty much do are musicals. And um, I enjoy going to musicals, but I was never really into wanting to be into one. And then when I went to college, I went to Michigan State, studied business for the first year and just hated it. Just hated it. It was just, I thought, you know, there's, there's no way I can do something like this all my life. And, and had always wanted to try acting and things like that. And I just said, you know, I'm going to talked to some people at the theater department and just immediately fell in love with it, changed my degree to theater. So I was in a band all through college and then um, studied theater at Michigan State and was in a lot of plays. And so I had a lot of experience being on stage in front of people and was very comfortable in that, in that sort of a setting. And then when I got out, of, um, got out of college, I still hadn't done stand-up. But about a year after that, I'm like, it just was itching at me. It was always kind of in the back of my head. I'd really like to try it. I'd really like to do it. And then there was that, just that moment where you go, if I don't try it, you know, it's never going to happen. And at that time, there was not all the open mics that there currently are. So I was living in Grand Rapids, but uh, a club that was open back in, in Lansing called Connections had an open mic night. You had to call the Monday before to try to get one of three spots. So, but anyway, you called the Monday ahead. They had three five-minute spots before the show on Wednesday night. And you'd have I know to how hard five minutes is to fill, oh. especially when you can't remember what you're going to say. But we'll come, we'll come we'll back to, to that, that story later. Yeah. But um, so uh, I, got, I finally got a spot, 
and uh, worked super hard on it. And my brother John came down with me, and he videotaped it. And this is back in the days when the video cameras were yeah. like huge, like live at five, yeah. even for home use, yeah. and had the VHS tape that you would yeah. just automatically put in the VCR. And uh, it went great. I worked very hard on it, and that was probably the worst thing that could have happened because I walked off stage thinking this piece of cake. Yeah, you got a licked. Yep. Done. You know, let's put a like you down payment down on the house. Yeah, start looking for mansions. And uh, and then so I got a spot the next week, and because of the success of the first week, did very little work on the second <laughs> set, and uh, it was kind of like uh, I, I described to people, it was like a uh, a cool lake on an autumn morning. It was just no laughs Not at a all. Ripple. Not a ripple. Just awful. Which is the second best thing that could have happened because I walked right. off stage thinking, yeah. All right, I got to work at this. So. Yeah, and so do you remember uh, maybe not their first couple performances, but do you remember after you got seasoned a little bit, some of the um, the first couple bits that really worked that were total money in the bank for you? Like they worked nearly every time. I don't. I, I it's it's I've done it for twenty six years now, so I don't really remember the first couple bits that worked great. Well, um. It's, it was less about the bits and more about developing the confidence on stage. That's, yeah. that, those are the things I remember more. It are the kind of milestones you reach where you're more comfortable. And, because the same joke from a guy who's not comfortable coming from somebody who is, is a massively different yeah. joke. And maybe, maybe, and I'm not a comic, but I, I think at that point maybe it's about maybe how you handled some crowd work or something expected. Yeah. You, you didn't get back on your heels about anything. Right. And were able, you know, that's where that confidence oh, yeah. can play a huge role. It is. But I don't know. But yeah, so it does, I guess it doesn't surprise me that you're like, oh yeah, I used to have a bit about this, uh, you know, checkout cashier or something. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I, th- I think what, what starts to happen is that once you get that confidence, it starts to allow you to become who you are on stage. And yeah. I've always said it's a, it's a tremendous turn in a comedian's um, uh, career when you, when you change from being a person on stage saying funny things to becoming a funny person on stage. That's yeah. a massive change in your career. Because yeah. at that point, because what happens is when you present yourself on stage and you've got that confidence, it puts the audience at ease. Yeah. Because they can sit back and go, all right, this person knows what they're doing. Let's relax and we can enjoy they it. They can smell blood in the water. Oh, too. yeah, yeah, yeah. When it's not going well for somebody <laughs> who goes up ahead of you, yeah. you, no, you did fine. You did fine. Anyway. But, uh, yeah, they, they can sense that stuff. Yeah. And uh, it, it, when, they, when you get up and you have to immediately, you have to get to a point where you immediately establish that. You know what I mean? When you, just the way you enter the stage, yeah. people can tell, all right, this guy's... Knows what he's doing. Well, and you're the headliner at this point. So it is a, a little bit of a chicken or egg. I think, you know, if you're middling, it's certainly if you're if you're the MC or host that night, it's a, the audience doesn't quite respect you as much. Right. So they are expect they do sort of relax and all right, I'm here the headliner. Even if they do or don't know you specifically, but well, they know what a headliner is. Right. And they know how to like, okay. And usually headliners, there is that degree of polish and Performance and you can do 45 minutes or an hour or a half hour, or yeah. however much you need to do for that set. But the point is, they sort of lean into you a little bit, which can be helpful as opposed to a middler who, like, they're waiting for their main one. They want their next drink before the headliner comes on stage. That is true. But here's the great thing about the middle spot. Here's the great thing about the feature spot. Because you, and I'm talking about a three person format where you got an MC feature and a headliner. Because the expectations aren't that great for you, you have the opportunity to blow the roof off the place. Yeah. Which is, which is when you start doing that and you start getting critiques from the club back to the booking agents where like stronger than the headliner, that's when you start to kind of make that yeah. move. And for me... Have you been bumped off recently? Headliner? What? Somebody in front of me? Just kidding. You know what? There's a couple comics that I, that I have open with for me, a guy named Will Green, yeah. who um, should be headlining and is starting to headlining, and he's... I've done it for 20. He's very tough to follow. He's yeah. really funny. He makes you raise your game. He bit. does. He does. Yeah. And I love having him open for me because I know the audience is going to get a great show. Yeah. You know, because Will's yeah. going to kill him gonna and, be I'm gonna, little, and then I'm going to have to be It'll on be a game. little hot yep. for you, too. He's a great comic. Yeah. But um, uh, 
I, I found the transition from going to feature to headline to not be that intimidating. In fact, I, you know, a lot of people say, boy, that's a big jump. But for me, and I think a lot of people are like this, um, I had had, I had a, enough material at that point to headline. So when you start getting to a point where you're going, okay, I got to do 25, 30 minutes. Okay, what am I going to cut out? What am I not going to do? Then you start to know, okay, you're getting to the point where you need to make that step up. Yeah. And the thing I loved about making that jump to headlining is the fact that now I could kind of space things out the way I wanted yeah. to do. There's a bit, this bit, I need this to go a little slower to be more effective. Yeah. I can take that time now. Yeah. And then this bit can be hard and fast. And, and I think um, one of the hardest things that I, well, uh, I appreciate, I will watch a lot of stand-up comedy because it's one of my favorite forms of entertainment. But someone who can live in quiet space mm-hmm. on stage for a minute and they're not just talking through like a, like a conversation with somebody yeah who's oh, as soon as there's any just slightest hint of awkward silence they're filling it with nervous stuff yep. and as a comic to like have that and be able to hold and sometimes you'll get a residual ripple as it you know what i mean like yeah. and that's stuff that only you could you I, could you could uh, conduct. You I know? just had this conversation with somebody yesterday. I kid you not. And they said, uh, "Can we get him on the podcast?" Or uh, no, it's a friend of mine. He's uh, not. He's not a comedian or anything. He's not famous. He's a civilian. <laughs> but um, he just a- he asked me. He said, "Does the silence up there does, does that kill you?" And I said, "No." I said because what happens is that there are certain jokes that I do purposely space out, and I'll give him a piece here and a piece here and a piece here. And in fact, I was just, just in laying the foundation. I was baby. just in Fresno Saturday night, and I had one of the best sets in all my years of comedy. One of the best sets. I have a fantastic crowd, and um, I said, "I'm in a room full of 650 people, and I'm and I'm giving them a sentence, and it's completely silence. And then I'm giving another sentence, and there's complete silence. You know, I'm building up to the punchline. And I said, "No, I said when you get to a certain level, and you're confident, and you know the material is good, um, those silences." What I'm thinking is, I got them. Yeah, I know they're, they're listening, listening to every single yeah. word I'm saying. And so it, that nervousness is, is long gone. You're yeah. like, I, that's exactly what I'm wanting from them right now. That's great. So, yeah. It's got to feel awesome when you, when you do all the brickwork. Oh, yeah. And then it just lay, and then you just yeah. destroys. Yeah. You worked, I admire you a lot because you worked a full-time job for many years, mm-hmm. corporate job. You were raising a family, and you were doing stand-up. Yeah. And yep. you were hustling and grinding, and you're writing, yeah. And your whole mind is going. I don't think your mind ever st- like just me being your friend. I don't think it ever shuts off that comedy. No, uh, there's that, a, you're always it's always things. something looking. And I'm sort of the same way with photography. In that, it's hard for me to just drive down the road and not see images or like yeah. something interesting. I think we're both inherently observers or people <clears throat> yep. or objects. Or sometimes I'm just looking at shapes. Or a cloud. For me, though, it has to go beyond just like the basic making fun of people. To me, the really? observances and stuff like that are. No, I don't. You don't mock people. You're not. No, I don't. I don't do that kind of that, stuff. But and you know what? I, I'm not opposed to. Uh, there's everybody does a different kind of comedy. Um, I just have never really taken on that kind of stuff. You know, because I, I look at it this way: the guy who's working at McDonald's on the third shift doesn't want to be there, but he but he's doing something. Right. You know what I mean? So I have a hard time making fun of that guy. Yeah. So I just, well, I think I just we all don't do, do jobs. Kind of even I've been a full-time photographer. There's jobs. There's days I don't enjoy. Sorry, every client. You're not always my yeah. favorite client, but like, or maybe a specific job. But like, um, there's, I have a lot of admiration about just people doing what it takes mm-hmm. to get through life. So do I. Yep. And the no one, no one putting in the effort uh, in any level in life, family, or whatever is is gonna. I'll have as much respect for them as the next right. big person I photograph or some CEO yep. or something. Yeah. Like and, and you know, a lot of that comes from my dad too. Yeah. My dad was very big. My dad was a very smart guy, very successful dentist. But my dad was oh, always, always, everybody gets a fair shake. Everybody gets a fair shake. Yeah. So that's just, I mean that was always something he instilled in us. He'd always so. find the he'd always find the humor around people. Like I, I remember like he found certain people very funny too. Oh like, yeah. I mean it's not something he did publicly, but like I yeah. remember like he he wasn't afraid to poke fun at people that he thought were funny. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. Let me just pose a question to you. 
you're now a firefighter. You mm-hmm. went through fire certified firefighter. Yep. If all three of your brothers were in a burning home <laughs> and you had to save just one, you had time to save one mm-hmm. before it all collapsed. Okay. Which brother would that be? Mark's out right away. Mark's out. <laughs> sure no, no. Outlast if he's dead or you He's, he's had his time. He had an opportunity. He didn't take advantage of it. He's gone. Uh, John's pretty heavy right now. He'd be hard to get out. That leaves Andy. Andy's Andy. an obstetrician. He yeah. brings life into the world. Yeah. He's probably got a fairly... Are you really asking me to make this choice of which one I save? Absolutely. I mean, I would have guessed. I could have. I. I, I would guessed. say Andy, just on the base that Andy. I would have guessed Andy. Andy is just such a good guy. Yeah. He's just such a good person. Yeah. Not that my other brothers aren't. Well, but there's, uh, there's degrees. <laughs> I mean, sure, sure. But my brother Andy is just such a nice, good person. Does yeah. that have anything to do with maybe the size of his retirement uh, balloon? I may be I'm, in that. I'm not sure. No. <laughs> he's yes. He's a very. Uh, he does very well. Yeah. But, no, he, but he is just a good, good person. He's just a great guy. Yeah, and all your brothers are. I'm, I'm joking. I, I've, you know, um, Mark coached us in football. Yep, he did. And John was a star quarterback with, played on the same team as mine. As your brother, brother, yep. And then uh, played college ball at Western Michigan, yeah. And then Andy just went off. I did, he was, I didn't know, of growing up, Andy was the one I knew the least. Yeah. Like personally, really smart. Always reading. Yeah. Oh, us, us making fun of him for always reading, right. and now it paying off quite well for him. <laughs> he's uh, he's yeah. a really. I just remember coming smart back guy. like after like mid twenties, and then you know, um, get getting re reacquainted and re acclimated uh, to your family quickly, and it was Andy's uh, uh, uber successful. And you're like, he okay, is, I should have maybe been uh, taking more interest in him. Yeah, growing should have up, been his friend. Even though I was just a little kid. He is, and I, and I mean this sincerely, he is the funniest one of the four of us. Really? He is. Now, I'm the one who likes to do it outwardly. I'm the one who likes to get on stage. Andy would never do that. Yeah. But internally, if you're sitting having a conversation with him, he, he is without question the, the funniest one of the four of us. Just yeah. very dry, but just yeah. will we'll be the person everybody's talking, then all he has to do is make one statement and it floors everybody. Yeah. He's he was just, very nice after the roast. Well, I want to talk about your roast maybe later. I want to get through a couple other things. But after uh, the roast was done and I was on the dais and I, I gave a little talk and some jabs at you, he was the fir- I think he was the first person that came up to me after and he shook my hand. He's you know, he just very generous and yeah. kind, super warm. He's, He's a just, great like, guy. I thought it was great. Yep. But anyway, um, but it was good to get And Mark, uh, I haven't seen John much uh, in the last, you know, quite a while, but since he moved away. But... Um, so I, uh, but talk about your brothers just as terms of form, helping to form your sense of humor as the youngest. And many times, you know, you were I the, was the cl- smallest growing up, and you were the quickest outlet for uh, some, you know, playful abuse. Oh yeah, yeah. So to stay on the the vein of your family, so you're the youngest. You mm-hmm. have three older brothers. Yep. I'm sure you were the target of some playful. And I know you were playful, roughhousing abuse. Yeah. How did that shape you as the youngest? And all, I'm the youngest, but I have less siblings. But also just as a comic. Well, I think I think physically it kind of toughens you up. I mean, yeah. we used to beat the tar out of each other. Yeah. It wasn't like an abusive home or anything like that. Yeah. But we were four boys who... Yeah. It was four boys. Yeah. And we used to play football in the backyard all the time. I'll never forget my dad came home from work one time. And we had been playing... Our back... We had a great... When this was the neighborhood we lived in before, I lived over by you... And uh, we had this great, nicely square, flat backyard that all the kids always came over and played football at our house. And I think it was my brother John who first said, I'm going to go put my cleats on. And then we all put our cleats on. Hey, that's a great idea. Good grip. And, we, and my dad got home from work, and our backyard was a mud bowl. <laughs> I mean, the lawn was just absolutely torn up. We had been beating the tar out of each other all day, and he was just furious. But... We, so we were very physical. We did a lot of sports. Um, so there was that aspect. I mean, there's the typical little brother crap where I got pounded on a lot. And, yeah. But I think also just verbally, it was just, it, there, it was just no holds barred. I mean, we just were brutal to each other the yeah. way we'd make fun of each other. And it, it, you, you either survive in that or you don't. Yeah. And the problem for me 
where that translated to a, a negative thing was uh, me being the father of two daughters and trying to use the same kind of humor <laughs> with them. <laughs> Did not go well. Did not go well. I can remember one time we were up north, and I'm not going to say which daughter I said this to because it was a traumatic experience, but it was Zoe. Um, we were going to go downtown. To, we were staying up north in a place we vacationed at. We were going to go downtown and get some ice cream. And I said, come on, Thunder, we're going downtown. <laughs> and later on that night, I didn't realize I'd caused damage. My wife goes, you're going to talk to her, aren't you? I'm like, about what? And you called her Thunder in front of everybody. I'm like, so what? And so that's the problem, Getting yeah. trying to get some of that out of my system. I mean, I'm, we were just, I was a chubby kid. And swam a lot, so my nickname was Orca. My brothers for years called me Orca, and I got, I got, I had, I had some. Here's but, and for uh, Dave, Dave is a ripped CrossFit athlete now, but you did, you yo-yoed. Uh, I'm yo-yoing more than you did growing up now as an adult, mm-hmm. but you were, uh, you went through phases of being uh, chubby and short, and but you were always powerful and strong. But you had weight on you at some Yes, time. I did. Yeah. yeah. I, I was never like that. Um, you weren't obese. Not, not in high school or anything like that. I got obese after I quit smoking, you know, for in my yeah. late 20s and 30s and stuff like that. But, um, but yeah, I, I always had a little bit of weight on me. But uh, it, it was... Um, what were we talking about? <laughs> this is how you're not a good guest and I'm not a good host. <laughs> okay? This is going to go well. This is, this is what the audience is yeah. craving right now. Oh, but was it about my brothers and the influence? Well, it was. I was going to draw a, a similarity, and I don't know if it was on me or you to finish this thought, but it was like I have, uh, we have a household full of women. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I have three daughters. You have two. two Yours are, uh, you're an empty nester now. Yep, 23 and 20. Yep. So, uh, and my, I'm not quite. I have one out. I've got 19, 17, and, and 13. Yeah. But a very feminine household. Yeah. And there's sometimes I come home and I'll walk into a room and I'll be like uh, the, my wife and daughter or some configuration of my wife with one of my other daughters. And, and I'll walk in and look around and say, why are we crying? Yeah. Like, what yeah. is, you know, that is. Yeah. You say that all the time. Yeah. Something that we're just like, what? There's something palpable. It isn't always tears. Right. It's like, what kind of energy am I walking into? And you, you want to, but you can't just go, oh, crap. Oh, come on, pull your pants Yeah, exactly. Go. Keep moving forward. Yeah. Tomorrow, you're never going to think about it. I got, I got to a point as a father to where, I don't know if I ever actually said this to, <clears throat> to my girls, or, but I think it was kind of understood. It was always sort of like the emotional aspect I'm not really going to be able to help you with. You know, I've always kind of been, oh, I got knocked down, I'm just going to keep going. Here's 30 bucks. Yeah. Go clean yourself up. Yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm just going to, I got bruises, I'm going to keep going forward. So I, I was always sort of, the, the emotional aspect I'm not going to be able to help you with. But like the support, if you need me to help you with something, I'm there in a second, whatever you need yeah. me to do. Yeah. Your mother's going to have to help you with the emotional <laughs> aspect of this because I, I can't. Can't, can't, I can't comprehend it. Yeah, there's times I, I don't have quite the patience to listen because it seems like uh, something that should be solved. Like it, there, yeah. there's an easier solution that doesn't require <laughs> a lot of hand wringing. <laughs> that's you know? that's where I always got in yeah. trouble. I, I would always have a solution immediately. Yeah. Well, it sounds pretty easy. Well, you just yeah. just don't go there. Horrible idea. You just can't do that. Shut up, Dave. <laughs> Dad. Yeah. Dad. No. Yeah, yeah. it's a. But, you know, that makes me admire my wife and her, you know, she has more than anyone in our family that, that patience at times mm-hmm. and other times maybe not. But just patience to sort of work through, realizing that whatever they're working out takes some time and yeah. patience. So if you just want to unload about something that happened and, and just get it off your chest, there isn't an, an arc of like... Uh, complete rationality in what you're saying or how it relates back. You just no. need to get it out. And sometimes you're like, no, you're taking the right, you know, we're more black and white guy things. One of my daughters, what I, what you also learn, and every, every child is different, and that's the beautiful thing about having kids, is that the way our daughters handle things is completely different. And my oldest daughter, who I love dearly, but she deals with some anxiety issues and things like that. And when she comes across a situation... You have to be there for her, but at the same time, you have to step back. You have to let her get it out. Mm-hmm. You have to just 
give her five, 10 minutes to swear or say whatever she's going to say and get it out of her system. And then she deflates a little bit. And then you're like, okay, what can I do for you? But you, you have to give her that space. It's that, it's yeah. that dodge and weave sort of thing. Because like <laughs> she, I'll tell you, she will go hard too. <laughs> she'll, those five or 10 minutes will be hard. And then she'll, and then it'll be past her. Yeah. Talk to you about, you've always, another thing I admire about you is you're always sort of writing and dabbling in scripts. Mm-hmm. Shorts, comedy shorts. Yep. We've shot a few of them. Uh, I watched a lot of them that I have no part of. Just watched you put them together. Yeah. But where did the love of you know writing skits and bits and they're not like uh, you know these aren't uh, comedy shorts with characters and costumes right. and all that stuff. But it's just pretty much a character you created. Yeah. And it interacts. Uh, we'll get to pillars, but just take me back to the genesis of like I want to write for video or film or like the idea of two to five minute things. I love, um, I love writing dialogue. I love thinking up jokes between two people in a conversation, and I love writing that dialogue. And I love, I love um, editing it and making sure that it works well together, that it works smooth. Uh, I look back on like the movies that I've always enjoyed, and I love all different kinds of movies. I, everything from you know little independent movies to the big blockbusters. I love everything. But my favorite movies have always been movies where the dialogue is just fantastic between people. Even back like you know the original Odd Couple with Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau. <laughs> yeah. You listen to the lines and just the way they play on each other is just beautiful. To movies like Diner, you know, where yeah. it's just the and that's all. Yeah, they're story-driven and everything like that, but just the dialogue, and I love creating great dialogue. So that's always been my favorite thing to kind of write between yeah. a couple people. Well, and I think what you do really well as a scriptwriter is you really write in some of the beats and pauses and inflections. Uh, like You have a voice when mm-hmm. you write. That's very distinct. And you... so. I don't know how long ago it was, six to eight years ago, maybe we did we shoot the first yeah. uh, couple things. So yeah. It wasn't I, even called Pillars at that point, but yeah, no, it was a similar it was pre, kind of thing. Yeah, it was pre that. So, you know, you asked if I could help. You knew I was just getting in the video, and I was mm-hmm. fairly inexperienced. I mean, I had shot quite a few stuff, but enough that you came to me and said, like, maybe you can help me do this. And I was interested in directing some shorts versus corporate videos or something. And uh, so we agreed to do shoot a couple of your things, and you pulled in Kevin Yon, yeah. who is, uh, uh, you know, uh, rest his soul, is gone now. But yeah. he um, he was an actor that you brought in right away to your earliest scripts. I remember there was a script yeah. called The Hitman that we shot. Yep. And then one of the first iterations, well, I think it was, could be called like Pillar Zero or the first yeah. Pillars, we shot that episode. Crabgrass. Crabgrass. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It just still gets my me. Act. Just gets me. Yeah, but um, so we shot that, and then uh, I take it from there because you really took you saw a little bit about how video worked, and you just picked up from it from there and said, "I think I can do this." Strip down a little bit more, but I I admired you as part of like missed not being part of it, but I was also busy, so I was like, "I'm not sure," you know. I mean. And but it was so cool to see you pick it up. So take it from that. We help. You know, we shot yeah. two episodes, or two two scripts. We yeah. shot both starred Kevin Yan as yeah. different character. You were each different characters, yeah. but it wasn't a big production. No, but, no, no. Yeah. And well, Kevin, um, I met Kevin first when uh, actually in a video thing a long time ago. But um, we just briefly met each other. But when I started doing some stuff on Kevin Matthews Show on LAV. Um, and Kevin was the producer. That's where we really started to spend a lot of time together. And, you know, you come across a handful of people in life that you just immediately click with. And he yeah. and I just, as the second we met, got each other. Yeah. This, the humor just was rolling off each other. Uh, you, know, Kev, you, know, you knew Kevin. He was one of the funniest people you'd ever want to meet. You yeah. know? Sitting at a table with him having coffee or a meal was just an event because he would just the whole time you'd be dying laughing. Yeah, he was a, he was the classic storyteller. He loved yeah. to tell stories. Yeah. And they were rooted in truth, but they were always so funny. Yeah. And uh, I met him through you, I think, on those yeah. two things. Yeah. And then... Um, okay. And we should probably let people know, they, it, whether you know it or not, a lot of people know Kevin Yan because he did the voiceover for the Chrysler commercial. He was the voice yeah. of Chrysler for about five years, and he did the famous... M&M. M&M commercial during yeah. the Super Bowl. That was his voiceover, which yeah. was 
perfect. Imported from Detroit. And I've, be I've said this before, but the entire brand of Detroit started to turn with the success of that commercial. Yeah. And his voice anchored that. Oh, it was perfect. It, it allowed Detroit, his narration of that, along with Eminem and just the entire uh, campaign that came out of that, allowed Detroit to own its grit, yep. own its shit, yep. and start to turn it as a positive yeah. and move forward. And a lot of that hinged on his voice. Oh, it was great. Because it was articulate, but it was yeah. gritty. It was, it was perfect. He just encompassed it somehow. Yep. I don't know how he embodied it. Although, he has that register. Yeah. But he, <clears throat> he and I um, just got to know each other so well and had just this great chemistry that that's sort of where that was the germination of, of wanting to do these things with pillars and, and writing these little three to four minute scripts. Because knowing him so well and la- being able to easily laugh with him, I could do... I do have a hard time writing other people's voice, but I could write Kevin's because I knew exactly how he would react to what I was going to say. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's, a, there's a Pillars script, uh, and Pillars is a web series that I did. We did 15 episodes. With, yeah, with if you go I. to YouTube, just search uh, Dave Dyer and Pillars, P-I-L-L-A-R-S. Yep. Uh, awesome. There's probably, what, a dozen of them? There's uh, 14 or 15 of them. Yeah. 15. But um, there's one of my favorites was called Gorilla, and just his, his pauses and his reactions are exactly what a conversation between he and I would be. Yeah. I, it starts off, I say, uh, you know, I heard a friend of ours has an Ask Your Madison account, and he just sort of sits there, and I'm like, well, don't you want to know who? And he goes, well, I figure you're going to tell me anyway. I thought I'd conserve my energy. I mean, that's a perfect Kevin Yan line. Yeah, and you wrote it perfectly for him. Yeah. I remember when we were shooting, I was uh, I hadn't shot much scripted comedy at all when we shot the first one called The Hitman. Mm-hmm. And you basically are a guy who wants his wife killed. Yeah. And you hire Kevin, Matt, Kevin Matthews, or Kevin Yan's character, sorry. Kevin Yan's character to uh, you think he's a hitman, but mm-hmm. he's he's not really. He's something else, so. which I won't spoil for people. But uh, there was a line that I ruined like four takes in a row because <laughs> Kevin cracked me up every time. And, yeah. and his line was, "Because uh, <laughs> you tell him to get, you tell him to leave. I tell you tell him, him to leave. Him to leave. Yeah. He goes, I'm not going anywhere. I just ordered a sandwich." <laughs> yeah. And just the yeah. way he delivered that, every time I laughed audibly, and it killed like three to four consecutive yeah. takes. Yeah, and I completely not being professional at all because I couldn't, as the director, I could not contain my laughter, yeah. and it was always on the same line. And I just got the giggle fits. And every time we tried to reset that scene, yeah. for the next three takes, it's like I'm not going anywhere. I just ordered a sandwich. Yep, it and it just killed me. Yep. But anyway, but yeah. As far but it grew as grew from far, there, but you, I directed the first couple. You did, but then you thought I can do a single camera. I know a bar owner, probably just two guys sitting at a bar, and then yeah. the pillars are just the rest. And of a lot, a lot of the reason that came about was because, and I'm not blaming you, but it was because you were so busy, and I wanted yeah. to get these things done. So there was part of me that was like, okay, I got to learn how to do this, even if it's stripped down. I got to learn how to yeah. do this myself. Yeah. And so I bought a Canon T3i computer I, or a camera. I bought. Uh, a Zoom H1 microphone mm-hmm. that was able to place between a couple napkin holders between Kevin and I, which actually sounded great. Yeah, it sounded like a bar conversation. And um, I was able to do these things and use iMovie, and because they were just three, four minutes and it was just a single shot, yeah. I could, you know, kick you these got things out. And the content, I mean, those yeah. are popular, and, and they've, I'm sure, brought you other opportunities. And I didn't bring it up to by any means to. I thought it was great that you just took the ball and run. I'm also a DIY type of guy that not everything needs to cost money right. to be successful. And especially if you're going to do it, no one else is going to do it for right. you. I think that's about your drive as a comedian. There's something in me just um, to be successful in a creative field, you just have to figure out if it's in you and it's calling you to do it, you just have to go do it. And I also think I, I'm the kind of person who thinks I, I would love for it to look as great as it can. I would love, you know, for the sound to be top notch, but if I can't afford to do that or I don't have the means or, or the ability to do that, I'm also of the, of the, um, the mindset that if the content is good, yeah. people will find it. Right, and even I'm, if it's somewhere on AM radio, if it's yeah. good, people will find it. Yeah, and I was I was talking to somebody on <clears throat> someone else's podcast. I was a guest, and I brought up these 
um, things. And it was just on the power of the writing and the acting. It didn't need to be multi-camera. It didn't need to have the best audio. It didn't have to have the freshest, you know, graphics and editing. It didn't matter. Mm -hmm. It just was just that magic that happened that you happened to get down. And then... uh, and then, you know, Kevin, we should just get the audience up to speed. Um, you, you for, I don't know, four or five years, you'd write two or three Pillars yeah. episodes a year, and you'd shoot them with Kevin yeah. Yan. You know, and I think you also mentor a lot of comics, and that really came to fruition with the, the roast of David Dyer, which was at the Bob, yep. at the, our, our big comedy club in town, or our, our, our marquee comedy club in right. town. And... Uh, a bunch of comics, all younger than us, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying us as a comedian, but in our age group, uh, decided to honor you with a roast yeah. at the Bob and put together a dais and just to honor you. And it really spoke to their respect of you as kind of the uh, top comedian who's taken time out of your career to mentor and help and hope that these guys do well. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know what? I was, I was, Thrilled! I was flattered they do that. It was actually Adam Deggie's idea, and um, oh, it was Adam. He's a dick. <laughs> no, he's a great guy. He's a good. He's a, kind of my comedy no, I like, son. I love Adam. Yeah. But he, um, when he had found out, you know, he knew I had a birthday coming, and then when he found out it was going to be my fiftieth, he said, "Oh, we got to do a roast." So they they put a whole dais together, which you were on, and yeah. and Kevin Yan was on. It was one yeah. of the last things Kevin did, and. Um, I was thrilled, and it was it was nice to hear those guys. You know, obviously you're going to get roasted, and they're going to get made fun of. But yeah, you know, a lot of those guys I've taken with me on the road, and um, love to help them. You know, give them advice if they need it. And uh, you know, Adam's a funny, funny guy, and I don't usually like to step in and help somebody with their material. You know, because I, I, I'm a firm believer, and you got to learn yourself. The audience helps shapes your helps shape your act. But there'll be times you know I'll work with Adam and say, you know what, that one joke. You're adding an extra tag. You don't need to add because you're getting a huge laugh, and then the tag gets kind of a, you're yeah. kind of bringing it down. Yeah, chop that off, you know. And I love working with these guys and saying that not yeah. to change their joke, but yeah, if you make it a little tighter, no, we all it's going to be so solid. We, your the roast of you brought about was how much these guys appreciate you. Yeah, well, it was which very is nice. a, which is like you know that's a that's a very nice place to be. Uh, when you're not, th- you're not doing this, so you, you know. Oh, one yeah. day they'll do this for me. Yeah. But uh, I thought that the respect in the room, it was sold out. The crowd was was hot, and uh, you know the roast was long, but we didn't lose anybody. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And it was just a lot of fun. Tell me what it felt like just to be up there and just people taking some major swings. You know what? I I, I was fine with it because I I knew I knew what it was going to be. And uh, actually, they didn't take a lot of major swings at me. They did more at each other. They kind of <laughs> ate each other apart, which is part of being in a roast. Um, but it was brutal. I'll tell you, it was it was it was a wonderful it was a wonderful thing. It was a great birthday, and just for all the reasons you said, I was so appreciative that these young guys who I've you know known for so long and seen them from the very first time they got on stage, who wanted to put this together to to you know for a birthday party or however you wanted to call it, but. Um, I was thrilled. I was absolutely thrilled. It was it was honored to be up there. And yeah, it was fun. It was it great. Was Those lot, guys did it. Good to see a lot of friends in the audience. And yeah, and, and then just to tie that up, I was on the dais and had read. You know, I'd prepared, uh, written like I never worked. Honestly, <laughs> never. There are two occasions I've worked hard in the last twenty years. <laughs> it was both because I was invited to be on the dais and and roast you. Yeah. So I wrote and wrote and wrote yeah. and wrote. And uh, worked harder on that than I think almost anything in the last yeah. 20 years. And it went pretty well. We had a great set. It was good. And there was, I was the friend. No one expected, as, yep. as like that opener middle, no one expected. I, they knew I was just a childhood, you know, lifelong friend type of thing. So no one was expecting anything to be funny. But I had run some bits by some people and, uh, and got some help. Mm-hmm. And then just had this. Uh, but from that, a few weeks later... You invited me to open, or just uh, what do you do? You did guess, a guess, 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 you did a guess at while I was you know, at to get five minutes or three yeah. minutes. You know, just yeah. go up for two or three minutes. Yeah, you and did four, <laughs> yeah, which I got yelled at <laughs> for at the end. I'm By like, who? By the what's the the guy's name? He just left the club manager. Oh, Seth. 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 Yeah, yeah Seth was like, hey, you went over anymore. three minutes. Yeah, 
I was like, you know, I it was all yeah. blur to me. I'll tell you what, I'll take a minute out of my act. How about <laughs> exactly. that? You can have a minute in mine. Yeah. But anyway, that that I must say again was something that I prepped so hard for because I couldn't I, at least during the roast, I could use notes, I used yeah. my phone, I could like read, I could, you know, pick it up. I wasn't performing a polished act. I yeah. was sort of referring to some written, fully written dialogue that or uh what I was gonna say. When I went to the stand up, as you know, mm-hmm. You forgot I, a couple things? I forgot the lines. But you know what? Yeah. Here's why I'm guessing that happened. Because, it, I, I'm, I'm not saying this to bolster you, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm serious. I'll bet you you were getting a better reaction than you thought. Exactly what happened. And I couldn't get and, back into my thing. Am I, being, am I right? Seriously, because yeah. that will happen, especially yeah. when you're first starting out. You're like, holy shit, they laughed at yeah. that. And they, then you kind of lose your space for a second. Like, how did that connect again? Yeah, I was exactly. Like, I, didn't, I didn't know the bridges enough. Because when you're first starting out, when you're putting everything together, you're chaining it together without any laughs yeah. or any reaction because that's the way you're thinking about and it. And the so crowd was that, very nice because I was brought up as doing my first ever stand-up, mm-hmm. which it was. And I said it was my first and only, probably my only time doing <laughs> it. But, the, uh, but it gave me appreciation for, one, how hard I worked on a three-minute set yeah. for no reason, no pay. It was just because you it was thought, oh, this would be fun. Yeah. I'll try it. Horrified, by the way. Yeah. Like, I was never more nervous for both those occasions. I've yeah. shot many people I should have been trembling. You know, like, I mean, I've had some big opportunities with a lot at stake. Yeah. Never have felt more nervous than getting on stage as a comic. I will, I will say, and I, uh, I know this is going to come off as arrogant, and I don't care, because I think, I think when people get a taste of it, like you just did, you, you may be in, in agreement. It is the most difficult form of entertainment to successfully and consistently pull off. Oh, it I is. Agree, yeah. Because you're in a room full of strangers. First of all, people don't like being up in front of people talking to begin with. Yeah. You're in a room full of strangers. It's your thoughts. It's not something, it's not a play or something somebody else has written, so you kind of have the, cont- the context to go on. And um, until you get it in front of an audience, no matter how funny you think it is, you have no idea how the public is going to react to it. No, you don't. And, and every night can be different. So I know even with your, you know, as much as you tour, how many shows do you do a year oh, roughly? I, do. I'm usually, I usually work at least three weekends a month. Yeah. So, you know, either Friday, Saturday, or Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Yeah. So you're yeah. doing 100, you know, oh, well over 100 shows. Yeah. So, and I just stood up because my butt's falling asleep, and that maybe that's my yeah, problem. No. Yeah, I'm getting old. Plus, uh, <laughs> the stool's under a tremendous pressure right now. Imagine what my cheeks are feeling. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, no, I totally agree. It's it's an art form that's always changing. You can always just change how you deliver the tone, the beats, mm-hmm. the thing. You can always be tinkering with it. And I think part of the challenge would be to know when to stop tinkering. Right. I'm, I've been doing it for 26 years, and I'm still constantly changing things, finding little different ways to do something. Well, and I always. think that's why I think Seinfeld is an over over reference comic, but like he's still at it because he loves it. I love, I love. I love Jerry's, uh, like we're friends, I love Jerry's approach to, if you see an interview with him about stand-up, it is exactly the approach that it should be. Yeah. It, it's, you work hard at it, you work in a serious manner at it, but at the same time, you don't take it too seriously. Yeah, and, no, I, and it's just I love his approach to it. Yeah, and it's just, a, it's just I can see the, the, uh, the draw of the stage and being a, com- a comic, a good comic, just the siren that you follow out to sea and you drowned yeah forever for your life but you're still swimming you're still gonna pursue it and i mean that like you know there's sometimes you're you're doing the a beautiful butterfly and other times you're just treading water yeah. you know yeah. one minute you're mark phelps and the next minute you're i don't know dewey something. phelps dewey whoever that <laughs> is dewey. <laughs> dewey drowned off the pier yeah grand haven yeah um i don't know what do you have coming up that you're excited about um well I mean, I don't want to timestamp it too I've much, got a lot of the Laugh-Fest stuff is coming One up. of the Laugh-Fest, my favorite show that I do all year is part of Laugh-Fest, which is coming up, which is the Rock and Homegrown Jam, which yeah. is uh, a mix of comedy and music. There's five of us local comedians who are on the bill, a local band called The Legal Immigrants. They open up the show doing a few of their songs, and then each of us does about a 10-minute set, and then we do a cover song with the band after our set. Am I going to have guest on that? Or? You're welcome to go to it. <laughs> You're welcome to be there. I have an all-access pass. <laughs> I can go to it. It is, is going to be... We're doing it at 20 Monroe Live this year. We've already sold Ooh. about half the tickets. Wow, it's a big venue this Bigger year. Bigger venue, yep. And uh, it's. I think they're going to seat it for 800. We've already sold just over 400 tickets. Yeah. So it's going to be uh, just a ton of fun. But then also, and, and I don't know if you wanted to get into this or not, mm-hmm. we don't have yeah. much time, but... No, I've got time. I've been doing do. the... the 
as, as you mentioned earlier, the firefighting thing. Yes, yeah. Which has so become a huge part of my life. And all of a sudden you're like, I think I'd like to train to become a firefighter. So where did that come from? The, the, the basic, the, the short story is this. Um, I've always kind of felt a need, for some reason, nobody ever instilled this in me, but I've always had a kind of need to want to serve in some manner or another. And when I got out of college, I considered going into the military for a little bit. And this is not for, I'm not saying everybody should do this, but this was just personally for me. I felt the need to want to do that. I didn't do it, and it's been something that's always kind of stuck in the back of my head as a regret. I always kind of wish I'd have gone in for a four-year stint or whatever. Um, I did not do that. I've gotten to a point in my life where the kids are not completely grown and gone, but they're in college. Yeah. One of them's out of college. Uh, so there's some time there. I had left the corporate world. I was uh, doing a stand-up full-time. Have gotten myself into literally at 50 years old, 49, 50 years old, the best shape I've ever been in. And yeah, there was a look, sign. I got to say, I admire you because I got on the train and lost a bunch <clears> of weight, got really super fit and lean for about a year. It took me two years <clears> to get really fit, and then I just left. But you've not look back and you've never looked better and you seem very happy. I and seem I'm very, I feel great. There's I, no, there's no amount of time I won't spend talking about how I fell off the wagon. <laughs> you, can see, you can always get I don't know guy. why. You know why? The I reason I, I made this move to really start about four or five years to go to start getting in good shape is I said to myself, there's a ton of stuff I want to do in this life and I do not want physical issues to be a barrier to want to do this stuff. I, I don't want to be presented with an opportunity and say, you know, you know what, physically I just can't do that. I wanted to eliminate that. Yeah. So I said, I'm going to get in good shape. And I got in good shape and there was a sign in front of uh, the small fire station in our township that's right by my house. It said uh, hiring paid on call firefighters. And I said to my wife, I said, you know, this is something I'd be interested in doing. I said, I want it to be challenging. I want it to be, you it had know. to be paid. Well, that doesn't hurt. But I also wanted it to be a way that I could still serve the community or whatever and, and something that would be challenging and risky and, and fun. And she was a little apprehensive at first, and then she said, you know, at 49 years old, her husband's saying he wants to run into burning buildings. And then, um, and then she was like, no, go, go for it. So I, I, um, I put in an application, got interviewed, and got the job. And they put me through an academy that was six months long, a couple nights a week, and a lot of Saturdays. And and it, it, it has been one of the most gratifying things I've ever done. You know, I knew I was going to like it. Yeah. I had no idea I would love it as much as I do. Yeah. I, just, I, I think there's absolutely a, a lot of it. venues or a lot of avenues in why I think that you would like it. One is the camaraderie of the firefighters. Mm -hmm. I can see you definitely because you're, you're yep. a guy's guy. I love to kick it around. You got some time. You know, that they're, they're a tight band of brothers. Yeah, they are very. Very tight. Yep. They have their own culture, which I think you plug in great too. But also just the, the satisfaction you would get out of helping others at a time when it's not their best moment in life. It is. And you can make a difference at that moment. I can see that being very appealing to you as a person because yep. that's in your And you know, you know what? Your You're exactly right. And I hope that doesn't come off as egotistic or narcissistic or whatever, but there is that. There, I love to help people. I really, truly love to help people. And when you, when you pull up in that big red truck, you can, you can sense people's ease where they're, they're just so happy. They know you're there to help them. The and it's, it's gratifying. Say, Thank God Dave's here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but they truly, when, you, when they, there's, there's comfort with that, that big red truck. People, yeah. when you get there, they're just like, oh, good. Somebody's here to help us. Yeah, and, and fact, it's great first, to be part uh, of that. It's great had, to be part of that. We had scheduled this podcast. Uh, we had to reschedule because you had been. we had had an ice storm, and yep. there was tons of power outages and little pop-up fires that happened in the midst of our brutal winter. Mm -hmm. And you'd been up all night, and I just said, Dave, let's do it another time. It's yep. not worth it. I worked in a 48-hour span. I worked 34 hours. Yeah, we were out constantly. There were wires down everywhere, little fires happening, and it yeah. was it was crazy. Yep, but it's it's been just an absolutely wonderful experience. And you're right about that camaraderie that you have, and it truly comes from the fact that even though you know we haven't been in, in terribly dangerous, I mean we've had house fires and stuff like that, but there is that sense that you know I'm here to protect that guy and he's going to protect me. So there is that camaraderie that immediately develops that you know you're going to potentially be in some really dangerous situations, yeah. and you have to be there for each other. So it's a bad idea. I know every day isn't isn't that right? You know, there's a lot of washing the trucks. There's yeah. a lot of you know, yeah. there's a lot of it's stuff not, that has to be done. Like yeah. People think my business is just you know shooting celebrities or portrait. You know, it's all the shooting, the fun stuff. What are you doing today? Where are you going? There's 
95 percent of the work i do is email and estimation and sure organizing yeah. your gear and yep. complaining about things and occasionally having pancakes <laughs> with you and uh you going know, to so indian buffets but it, indian yeah i did buffets. i destroyed an indian buffet today right before he came over surprised i could stay awake because mm-hmm. the rice is really hitting right now <laughs> it's soaking up it's all just you. yeah yeah i'm ready for a nap yeah well i appreciate you coming i can't wait to have you back at some point yeah. i don't know what's going to happen with this podcast but uh you know, I appreciate you having me. Well, I was guest I, number. Am I what guest number? Am well, I? you're the third taping. I don't know in time like the how they're going to be staged when the re- I don't even have a name for. The so podcast. as you review them, there's a chance I could go up the ladder, or or down. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, I my goal is to get uh, as I like to say. Uh, Seven or eight episodes in the quiver. I knew that that was coming. I yeah. knew. God damn it. Yeah, the coming. quiver. I don't know what it is. I've used that metaphor a few times. I can't How about stop. hopper? Can't you I say can't that? Stop. No, Let's hopper's, get five or six in the hopper. Hopper's not right. Quiver implies hunting and that you're an arrow Which, now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't found the name yet. It, it, it'll be named in when people are listening it's to it. It's one of those things, though, any sort of name like that, like with pillars or anything like that, it just kind of comes out of the blue. Something, yeah. will, something will just hit you one day and you go, all right, that's it. Yeah. Boom. I was hoping it'd come out of, and maybe it will, maybe it'll come out of some quip out of this podcast or something else where it just, not that we're trying to name it, but some little hook appears. How about clicks and quips? There you go. All right, Dave, you got to go. <laughs> all right, buddy. Love you, buddy. Take care. Thank you. And there it was, my conversation with my childhood buddy and one of my best friends of all time, David Dyer. A couple quick things. Dave did actually end up helping me name my podcast. We were texting, still kicking it around, and somehow the exposure word came up. And just via text, Dave and I figured it out. And um, so I'll, again, be indebted to Dave for some reason. I'm going to have to owe him a lot of pancakes or breakfast or something for helping uh, push the final name of the web or of the podcast over the finish line. Make sure you guys go out and see Laugh Fest. I'm involved with that as a photographer, and um, it's going on. It's a 10-day comedy festival. You can get tickets at laughfestgr.org. I don't get paid to say this. It's just an an organization I believe in. Benefits benefits Gildas Club, which uh, supports cancer and cancer survivors. It doesn't support cancer. That's a dumb thing to say. Um, Let's just say they help people on their cancer journey, whether they are a person who has cancer or it's uh, family members or friends that need support along and assisting other people's cancer journeys. So uh, Gildas Club does not support cancer as a cause or as a platform. It's not good, but they help the people that need help when they need it, when cancer impacts their lives. So go to laughfestgr.org. You can check out tickets, see some amazing comics and comedians. And, um, you know, if you really want to see the portraits that I create of each of these guests before we sit down and have a conversation for this podcast, just go to my website at briankellyphoto.net. And there is a gallery on there called Full Exposure Portraits. And you can check them out there and see what we created minutes before we sat down. It's a lot of fun. I love shooting portraits. I'd love to shoot portraits for you or your company. And give me a t- give me a give me a shout. Give me a rope. Give me a line. We'll talk about whatever shoot needs you might have, be it photography or video. All right, that should be enough plugging things for now. But uh, check out DavidDyerComedy.com as well. Is he a .com or hold the phone? Let me check. I'm a dot netter, Dave. Ah, he's a dot comer. Oh, he has that over me too. He's funnier than me and everything else. Go to daviddyercomedy.com. Go see Dave. He's literally—I can't even say—he's the finest comic out of Grand Rapids, probably of all time. I can't name another one, so it might as well you be you, Dave. All right, guys, have a great week. We'll be back in a few days with another episode of Full Exposure with Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly.